Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Good morning, family. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is uh, Junha. I serve as an intern here, and it's it's a joy to be with you, to worship with you on this rainy day. Um... So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And as Pastor Tori mentioned last week, we're taking a break from that sermon series and exploring the book of Psalms for the summer. And I think it's fitting that we spend some time in the Psalms because Psalms are essentially a prayer book. Um, and And prayer helps us get the truth of God into our bones, so to speak. Um, We've been looking in Hebrews, that big theme, that Jesus is better. Um, And that's been the dominant theme. That's that's the note we've been trying to strike. But we don't want that to just be a truth in our minds, but we want that to be a living reality in our hearts. Um, And I think the Psalms, and I think prayer helps us that, helps us with that. Prayer helps us in the space between our mind and our hearts. It helps us to get the truth of God into the crevices of our hearts, and we can experience God's presence. And before we dive in, I just wanted to mention just a couple things that I appreciate about the Psalms. Um, The Psalms, for me, it's a welcoming book. And what I mean by that is that it welcomes anything related to the human experience and the journey of faith. Uh, It's a book where you can feel seen, a book where you don't feel so alone. Um, I like to think of the writers, the psalmists, as companions for the journey. Um, They say to us, hey, I've been there too. That experience of anger, I've been there. That experience of sadness, I've been there. Following God can be hard, difficult, I've been there. Um, It's a book that's written ages ago, but it's timeless in the way it articulates human existence, the journey of faith, and what it means to believe in God. And I like how Pete Scazzaro, what he says about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms has this pattern of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. He says that in the Psalms, we are either going into suffering, about to go into suffering, or we're in suffering, or about to come out of suffering. And I think that's true of our own journeys, right? Um, The psalm that we'll look at today is one written by one who's on a journey. It's a psalm of ascent, which is sung by the Israelites as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the annual festivals. And it's like, it's a shorthand picture, a metaphor, if you will, for our journey of faith to God and with God. And this psalm touches on something that I believe that we all long for on the journey, and that's joy. Um, And our main idea for today is that God's restorative power brings us joy. God's restorative power brings us joy. And as we journey with this psalm, our roadmap will be, uh, we'll look at a past restoration, and we'll also look at a future restoration. In verse 4, as was read, the psalmist is crying out. I'm reading from the NLT version 
restore our fortunes, O Lord, as streams renew the desert. We see that in the present moment, the psalmist is in some sort of distress, some difficulty. He's likening it to like a desert-like experience. It's dry, empty, there's no vitality, no life. And when you go through an experience like that, what, what is it that we usually long for? It's usually renewal, we want refreshment. And David articulates this kind of longing in Psalm 63. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So in his distress, in his circumstance, what does he do? Well, if you remember last week, Pastor Tori mentioned that what's more important than what's happening in your life is how you respond. And this psalmist teaches us how to respond here. He does something that I believe is pivotal for anyone that's on a journey of faith and the journey of being what it means to be a human in this life. He says, what he does is he looks back. He says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. His present distress leads him to look back to the past. He's engaging his memory here to remember how God had restored. And what what did God restore at that time? Well, in 586 BC, the Babylonians had desecrated Jerusalem. And the Israelites were exiled and they were taken into captivity. And if you know a bit about the Israelite story, you know that Zion, the city of David, It was where the temple stood, and it was the place of God's presence. It was pretty much the heartbeat and the pulse of Israel. And their well-being was tied to the temple's well-being. Their well-being was tied to the well-being of Zion. And to see it desecrated was a sentence of death. And to be exiled uh, from their land was to lose their home. Walter Brueggemann, um, a writer, says that the exile of Israel concerns not just geographical displacement, but the cessation of life possibilities, the withdrawal of fruitfulness. And Jeremiah 4, 23 through 26 kind of gives us a picture of this. He says, I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert. And all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. And here we see this is a picture of death. Um, It was without form and void. There's no man. Birds of the air have fled. This is a picture of darkness um, and a picture of death. And so when the psalmist says God restored, some translations say when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. It's this imagery of of being brought back from death to life from being exiled to coming home. And I like how Eugene Peterson describes this experience in his translation. He says, it was like a dream. It's this idea that it was too good to be true, but it was true. And this is kind of the God we have in our lives, a too good to be true, but true God. This led them to laugh, led them to have shouts of joy, And maybe as a parenthesis here, I love how the witness to the nations, um, what compels them 
uh, to say the Lord has done great things for them is laughter. It's, it's joy. Um, it's not about how well we articulate the faith or defend the faith, but do we laugh? Do we have joy in our lives? And so he goes on in verse 3. He says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. It's almost like he's reminding himself here. You know, you know what? God has done great things for us. He's in this present distress. And he's like, God has been good. He's been faithful to us. And that remembrance is trickling in a, a present joy. And if we could pause for a moment and reflect, hasn't the Lord done great things for you? Um, great things for your family, friends? Hasn't he done great things for our church? And I don't think it would take us long to recount just the many ways and times God has been good to you and to me and to us. Um, and note the communal language here. He says, he's been good to us. The Lord has been good to them. And that's the powerful thing I feel like about being part of the body or maybe small groups or tribe is that when people are sharing about all the ways that God is working and doing great things in, in their lives, um, it can strengthen us. It can encourage us when life seems like God is absent or he's not doing anything. And so we can look to our past and how God is working in our community and the people around us. Um, but as Christians, as those on the journey of faith, we always have something to look back to in the past. And that's the cross. At the cross, Christ takes our place and bears our sin, taking the punishment, the wrath that we rightly deserve. And because of that, look at all the great things God has done. We are delivered from death and to life. We are restored from being guilty to being forgiven, restored from being orphans to having a home, restored from being exiled from God's presence and to being welcomed in into his presence. And God absolutely loves us. He absolutely loves you. I like how David Benner says, when God thinks of you, love swells in his heart and a smile comes to his face. With God, we aren't just merely restored, but abundantly restored. And does this sound too good to be true? Well, it's true. And when we have this kind of God in our lives, this too good to be true but true God, we can be like what verse 1 says, those who dream. That no matter what you may be going through, if God is in the mix, anything is possible. And God's restorative power here, it cultivates our faith. It cultivates an imagination to think beyond our circumstance. It makes us dream that whatever situation may feel like death, whatever situation may feel impossible, that God can bring us out and give new life. And so this psalm and the psalmist looks to a past restoration. And it's bringing some hope here. It's trickling in some, some joy in the present. And, it, and he looks to the future, a, a future restoration. And so we looked at a past restoration, and now we look at a future restoration. We see in verse 5 through 6, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So before we look at that, how does this future restoration come about? Well, first, the psalmist prays, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, as streams renew the desert. And notice that he is praying after reflecting on the past. And this is really helpful for me because I know that when I'm going through a current distress or I'm going through 
um, some difficulty, I tend to fixate on it. And that's all I can see. And my problem becomes bigger and bigger. But the psalmist looks to the past. He sees how God worked. He sees how big and great God is. And he's thinking, if God can do it in the past, he can do it now. And it empowers him to pray. And I think it can be a really helpful principle for us here that memories of God's past faithfulness helps us to pray in moments of present distress. And so he's pondering a past restoration, and he's praying for a restoration to happen in the future. And this prayer reveals something about the type of existence that the psalmist is living, and I believe that we live in. Uh, One of the commentators states that by requesting that God restore our fortunes, they acknowledge that restoration has not come fully. They acknowledge that restoration has not come fully. Um, God had restored in the past, but we await a more fuller and complete restoration. It's this uh, already and not yet type of existence. We live between two restorations. Christ restored in the past, but we also await the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things when Christ comes back. But the space in between can feel like a desert, as the psalmist describes. It's a place where there's tears, and it's a place where there's weeping. So the psalmist is asking God to work and to restore. Um, He wants this flourishing again, this refreshment and joy in his life. And so only God can bring that restoration, but there's also a work that we put into. There's a work that we're called to, and part of the work is showing our tears. If we want God to restore, it's also admitting that we need it. In other words, we have to be honest with our pain. We have to face and wrestle with the darkness and the brokenness of our lives. We have to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. And this is work because we don't want to do that, right? We tend to hide this part of ourselves And we have so many things in the world that distract us from this, right? So many distractions, Netflix, Hulu, like where's Damian Lillard going to go? For those basketball fans out there. um, We end up putting up a mask uh, of strength, of stability, of feeling like we have it all together. But if we do this, I don't think we can experience the joy that God is offering us here. Joy and sorrow are intimately connected. Without tears, there's no joy. And our tears are like portals that bring us into his presence. He wants, God wants to meet us where we are. Thomas Merton, he's he's a uh, Trappist, he was a Trappist monk and writer. He says, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. He wants to meet you, the real you with all your flaws, all the things that bring you pain and make you weep and have tears. And so we invite God into our tears. We don't do that work alone, but we invite God so that new life can possibly grow. And this language of sowing, I find to be really beautiful. It's saying that our tears are like a seed. And the purpose of a seed is never to remain a seed, but to grow into something, into a harvest. Meaning that whatever hardship you're going through is not the end of the story, but it's a seed. I love this because it's showing that there's a continuity between our tears and our joy. It's not that we shed tears 
and then joy follows, but that our tears will actually transform into joy. And you might have come in here today with some physical pain, emotional pain, maybe some mental distress, some trouble. And this psalm is inviting us to see that all of those things are like seeds. It carries the potential for growth. It carries the potential for something beautiful. It carries the potential for something that can turn into a blessing. And like with any gardening or planting, this requires some patience. Henry Nouwen says this about patience. Waiting patiently always means paying attention to what is happening right before our eyes and seeing there the first rays of God's glorious coming. We may have tears, we may weep, but there's something God wants to gift to us in it. There's a gift inside of it. And this requires us to pay attention, to be open to ways that God wants to meet us in our pain, in our sadness. Eugene Pearson has this phrase, to be God awake, to, to open our eyes to what now it says to the first rays of the full restoration we long for. To, this, to see the seed of our tears begin to sprout into joy. Uh, and I think what this is getting at is that joy and life flourishing can be possible in the midst of tears, in the midst of our weeping. We saw earlier that God can restore, and this, is, and this allows us to dream that God can bring us out of death and into life, from death to life, but here it's a picture that God can bring joy into our tears. He can bring life into the midst of death. God's power to restore is not just that he can bring us out of death, but that he can bring life and joy in the midst of it. That even if the healing doesn't come, that answer to the prayer is denied and issues and difficulties continue, life can be found there in its very midst. This is pictured in Jeremiah 29. They're in exile, the Israelites. They're in Babylon, as we looked before. And God says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And this is a picture of flourishing, right? Plant gardens, eat produce, marriage, sons, daughters. It's just fruitfulness and abundance. But look where they are. They're in exile. They're in a place where it's not their home. We saw in point one that God can bring us out of exile, but here, even in exile, what feels like death, what feels like a desert at times, God wants us to have life. He's saying that flourishing and joy is possible there. God may not take us out of that desert or that feeling of exile when we want him to, but he can send streams there. We can dream that God can take us out of a situation but we can also imagine, we can cultivate an imagination that life and joy 
can be in the very place where we don't want to be, where it feels like that. And I saw this in our family's life uh, when, <clears throat> when my mom got sick. Uh, some of you know my story. My mom had kidney disease uh, about eight years ago, and she was on dialysis for six to seven years, and we prayed that my mom would be healed, you know, that physically she would be restored. Um, but that never came, and that was hard, and bearing um, the weight of her illness as a family was hard. But God taught me that though he wasn't restoring in the way that I wanted him to, restoring my mom's body, restoring her health, it didn't mean he wasn't doing the work of restoring. God, in that hardship, was still able to bring joy. Before her illness, my mom didn't go to church. She didn't like being around um, people. Um, But then after, she started going, and um, she started to meet with people, talk with people. And I remember during COVID, during that time, um, it was um, a time that has really been formative uh, for me. Um, I remember during COVID, people would come and they would check in on her. And it became like a, almost like a weekly thing. And they would pray with her. They would um, read the Bible with her, worship with her, sing with her. Um, and as they would eat together, they would laugh. They would talk about anything like older Korean ladies talk about. And um, they, yeah, they would eat lunch together, read the Bible and all of that. And it wasn't, was it a full restoration? It, it, it wasn't. But we were still able to, as a family and um, the people that surrounded us and walked with us, we were, still able, we were still able to laugh and have some joy in it. And so we get glimpses of that now. Um, but the fullness of restoration will come, that everything one day, it will be restored. That the tears and the weeping will grow into a fullness of joy, that we will reap a fullness of joy, that the tears and the weeping will give way to shouts of joy. And notice the the confidence with which the psalmist speaks. He says, he shall weep with shouts of joy. He shall come home with shouts of joy. And How is he so confident here? How does he know that this will come about? Well, the psalm, ultimately, it looks forward to Christ. Christ embodies verse 6 there. He was the one who went out weeping, bearing the sins of the world, yours and mine, bearing all the things that bring us tears and makes us weep, so that one day he will bring us home. Well, there is no tears, no weeping, as Revelation 21 tells us. He was the grain of wheat that fell into the ground, as John tells us, that died and bore much fruit. And we are his fruit. We are his sheaves. We are what makes him shout for joy. He has brought us home, and he will bring us home. And in this life, we will have tears. We will weep on this pilgrim journey of faith, of picking up our cross, But in those moments, as you tear, as you weep, look at the one who weeps for you, who is weeping with you. Bring your tears to his tears, and he will give you joy. If he didn't forget about you in the past, he won't forget forget about you in the future. 
she won't forget about you now. And the, the band is going to come up. And as we draw near to the communion table, like this psalm, let the table point you backward to what Christ has done in the past, dying for your forgiveness. But also let it point you forward to the future where we will feast with him. That is coming. And this psalm is encouraging us to hold on to that, to trust that. And let that truth now sustain you for the journey. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your goodness and your mercy. You have done so many great things in your life. And God, when we look back, we look to the cross where you died for us, where you showed your love for us. You showed the full, fullness of your love. Um, and we just pray that that would give us strength in the present. But let, us, let it also give us hope for the future, that God, you are going to one day restore all things. And in the meantime, as we shed tears, as we weep, would you meet us with your tears, your weeping, and your love. God, though we have tears, you can meet us with your streams of grace. God, we thank you and we just pray that you would be with us, God, always and forever as we're on this journey of faith. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.